I, had, I had thought maybe I'd just kind of breeze through this, and God kind of convicted me. And um, Wes had said a few times, like, you know, really take your time with this. So we're going to go a couple of more weeks and just, you know, God's, God's doing this kind of stuff. He's doing a lot, but this piece is just something that I'm going to speak to. And so we're going to go uh, two or three more weeks. Uh, next week, um, Stu is going to be bringing the word, which we're all eager for, certainly, on Father's Day to hear from him. And, um, and then uh, baptisms, and so we'll, we'll continue in this teaching. But I want to recap quickly part one of the spiritual gifts, and then go into part two. So just quickly... Part 1 is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul was saying, Paul is speaking about the spiritual realm. So in the, in the original text of the Bible, it doesn't say now concerning spiritual gifts. It just says now concerning the spiritual. It's singular. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual realm, singular. And then he goes on to teach us about the spiritual gifts, right? Because to access the spiritual realm, we have to function in spiritual gifts. Make sense? So God has said, hey, I'm giving you access to me like Jesus had, but the only way to access it is through spiritual gifts. And I'm going to give you every gift necessary to access my realm. So that's what Paul was saying in verse 1. And it's important. So... We have access to God's realm through gifts and callings. And when I'm done teaching on gifts, uh, Wesley is teaching on callings and different roles in the body because those also are what Jesus gave to people so that we could access his realm and his authority. His kingdom comes through people, us, all of us, in different ways, the Bible says, right? We have gifts and callings, and he releases his kingdom as we walk in those. So that's kind of a quick recap of part one, that there are gifts, ministries, and effects. And I broke these down last week. There are gifts, ministries, and effects of those gifts and ministries. First Corinthians 12, verse 7, 11, and 18. I just want to read those, those three verses, and we'll move on. But this is important as we talk about gifts. So verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the evidence, the spiritual illumination of the Spirit, for good and for profit. So he's going to repeat himself pretty much three times here. So verse 7, he says, hey, everyone in the church has a gift of some kind that's in the Bible has an operation, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit because he's in us, right? He dwells in us, spiritually speaking. He dwells in me, and he's going to express something through me of Jesus because as we learned last week, all the gifts are Jesus' gifts. He's given us each a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7, verse 11, all these gifts, achievements, and abilities are inspired and brought to pass by the Holy Spirit who apportions to each person. So there it is again. He delegates, he apportions, 
he entrusts you with a gift. It says to each person individually exactly as he chooses. Isn't that awesome? So look at the intention of God, the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we, we singularize God, but he's a trinity. He's three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I love, I think it's John Bevere. haven't read the book, but I think he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, about how we've forgotten the Holy Spirit. Like we just kind of like overlook Holy Spirit. But look at the specific role of God the Holy Spirit in these chapters. It's stunning. Like this is the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. And it says he gave you a gift as he chose. He chose. That's amazing. It pleases him to give you the gift he's given you. In verse 18, as it is, here it is again a third time, God has placed and arranged the limbs and organs in the body. Right? We're all, we're many, but we're one body, and God has given you a gift and placed you in that function because he desired to do so. Again, it says, just as he wished and pleased. That's what that word means, is desire, if you look at it in Greek language. I've been a geek Greek for three, four weeks now, and I'll be a geek Greek for three more. You, this is just so fun to study this in the original language of these words. So Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, is at work in you because he desires to use that gift in your life. Amen. So we'll move on. I'm going to use Amplified today for everything I read just because it fits so well. So we're going to breeze through the gifts and start them. I'm going to start reading the gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And stay right there, beginning in verse 8 through 11. To one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak a message of wisdom, and to another the power to express a word of knowledge and understanding according to the same Holy Spirit. To another is given wonder-working faith by the same Holy Spirit. To another the extraordinary powers of healing. To another the working of miracles. To another, prophetic insight, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose. To another, the ability to discern and distinguish between the utterances of true spirits and false ones. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the ability to interpret tongues. All these gifts, we just read this in achievements, are brought to pass by the Holy Spirit. And now we'll turn to Romans 12. Real quick and begin this teaching. Romans chapter 12. Paul also mentions the gifts and mentions more. So verses 4 to 8 in Romans 12. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one another. We're family. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, he says it again, we have different gifts. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of their faith. 
If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, with freedom, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then we're going to quickly mention verse 13, which is hospitality, practicing hospitality. Amen. So those are the list of the spiritual gifts. And we talked last week quickly too, again, just refreshing for those listening. It's important to know that we don't relegate spiritual gifts to the prophetic gifts because we're going to teach on those last because Paul goes in greatest depth on those gifts. But we want to talk about these other gifts that are the anointing, right? You know, somebody gets up here and gives a word or something of that nature or worship is really anointed. We say, oh, that's the anointing. And God says, yeah. But he says, there's a lot more anointing there I want you to get. There's a lot of anointing here, a lot of gift here that I don't want overlooked. I put it there for a reason, and I want those with it to be recognized, equipped, released in those gifts, right? Put to service in those gifts. So we'll start with the gift of exhortation, which the reason I'm starting with it is because we are so rich in this, right? And there's more of this in our midst, because, you know, essentially, all can prophesy, all can exhort, but there's a, a specific gift. Stu has this specific gift of OBV, obviously. He has this specific gift of exhortation. And when I read this, you'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, when he's exhorted, that's exactly what happens. So here we go. Exhortation, Greek word parakaleo, which actually is kind of like parakleto, which is the helper, the Holy Spirit. Really cool. So here's what exhortation means, to summon, to summon, to invite, to beseech, to call to you or for you, right? It's to give a call to someone or a group of people or give a call for them, for their good, for their sake. It's up close and personal in Greek language, right? In this family setting, exhortation comes forth to the spiritual community, up close and personal. And here's something to note about exhortation. So exhortation is encouraging, but it has a couple of applications. So when someone exhorts us, and I've heard both of these, from many people, but I'm even thinking some of the words that Stu has brought, the exhortations that he has given, some of those exhortations are, are primarily just encouraging to build up, to release hope and faith and lift you, right? A little higher, like get you in your right mind. Oh yeah, right. The blood is enough. The blood covenant is enough for me. You know, something of, of that kind. The other application of exhortation, which also is ultimately encouraging, is that this word actually carries legal meaning, which means accountability, which means there's authority on that word because God is giving that exhortation. And so it carries some 
legal authority before God that, wait a second here, this isn't just Stu being nice or intense. He's being moved by the Spirit to exhort us. And if that's true, then it's God exhorting us, right? Which is why we don't want to be familiar with people. And so when he brings exhortation, we're all accountable to God. Because God has moved upon somebody to exhort us and call to us, right? So the legal dimension, actually, when somebody operates in a gift like that, it brings us before God. Which means accountability. Which means some, some humility and sobriety. Like, okay, i got to respond to this. Otherwise, I'm not hearing the Lord. Right? That's, that's serious. God takes that seriously. So accountability to respond to what is heard and obey what is heard. It's not ear tickling or flattery like Paul speaks of, right? That in the last days, much of the church is going to accumulate teachers for themselves so that they tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. That's ear tickling and flattery. That's what the Bible calls it. So another thing we can say about that is in the last days, much of the church doesn't want to hear the word of the Lord. Just as, you know, in former times, seasons throughout Israel's history and world history, the church hasn't wanted to hear the word of the Lord. Call us to change. Call us higher. Call us beyond and upward and onward. Matthew chapter 3, this is an example of that. It's one of the striking things John says to the Pharisees, right? He, he says... Hey, you brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How would you like to hear that sermon on Sunday morning? That was John's sermon to the religious. Okay. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How offensive was that, especially in the face of the most arrogant people on the planet at that time? Thus the reason they needed a word like that to humble them. Most of them didn't hear. Some of them did. But here's what the next verse says in Matthew chapter 3. It's pretty intense. It says, with many other exhortations, John continued to preach the gospel to them. How would you like to hear that gospel? Hey, Joseph. <laughs> you viper. Who warned you to come out here and repent underneath my preaching? Let me encourage you. That's encouragement, buddy. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. So that's an example of that legal exhortation. Like, they were accountable to hear the exhortation to repent and believe the gospel. And be water baptized, because the greater Baptist is coming, Jesus. And you can't receive the baptism he has unless you receive the baptism John had. Right? Anyway. Moving on to the gift of service, which is the Greek word... Diakonia, which means ministration, or, hear this, waiting tables in Greek language. Waiting tables, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, right? So, let's take a step back, and you tell me when time's up, because these are so, I just feel such importance on these. And, and I, I feel mostly in my own spirit, I'm conscious of how important it is to be really practical, because we are so spiritual about the gifts, we just talk about the prophetic gifts. We've got to talk about these gifts. So step back for a minute, get real simple. Waiting tables. 
anointing of the Spirit to wait tables. Acts chapter 7 says so. That the apostles chose men who had the Holy Spirit on them in great faith. Otherwise, they couldn't wait tables because they wouldn't operate in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit to reap a harvest of souls doing so. That's crazy. So service was waiting tables. Right? Stephen wasn't an apostle. He was waiting tables, doing dishes, serving food so that the apostles could be apostles. And the Holy Spirit anointing on his service, he was releasing miracles, signs, and wonders because it says he was a man of great faith in his service. Like, think about that for a minute. And I think of all the years I had to do, and, and will continue to have to do, but especially like in my more youthful years of being a teenager and being at Youth Storm and doing menial tasks and cleaning toilets and you name it. A lot of that time, maybe most of it, unfortunately, I had the wrong attitude about it. It was so unfortunate. I, I, uh, even this morning as I'm reading through this, my heart grieved. I'm like, Lord, you know, thank you for bearing with me, but I wish I had responded a little differently in those years of my life. That it hurt. It hurts because I'm a little more mature now, I'd like to think, and have a better mindset about these things. But, you know, we can't look down upon what God has exalted. These are the gifts of Jesus Christ. Jesus operated in service. He operated in all these gifts. It's his gift he's given to you. So whatever it is, waiting tables, cleaning toilets, there's an anointing on your heart to say yes to it, or maybe some people have immediate response to whatever it is, that's service. And it's more than that, but it's certainly the gift of service. I'm here, I'm available, what can I do? It doesn't matter what it is. You know? That's amazing. Also, the women, there was a group of women who followed Jesus. And it says they contributed to his needs out of their means. Right? There were women who provided for Jesus and the disciples to do what they were doing for three and a half years. That's pretty awesome. That's service. God's anointing was on them. They had faith and conviction from God to say, uh-uh, we're going to provide everything necessary for this to continue as long as it can. They saw the value of the kingdom of God, and they sowed everything into it. They served. Right? Even Martha immediately went to serve Jesus, even though it wasn't a moment where he wanted that. But she went to serve. The gift of give, giving, the gift of give, is the Greek word metadidomai, metadidomai. It means to give a share of something or impart and change ownership with no strings attached, which is why it says whoever is a like anointed giver, like they just feel called to give, like these women did, contributions, investments, givers, right? Whether it's time, could be time, but financial, food, clothing, things like that, contributions, necessary um, stuff, and again, could be finance. But it's no strings attached, thus the reason Paul says, hey, whoever does this, do it with liberality, right? It's a 
free gift. Do it liberally, cheerfully, without compulsion. Give. Because that's how God gave. Right? Unconditionally giving. Because it was his nature. It wasn't just an act for God. He was declaring and revealing his own nature when he gave his son. And when we give, we're going to reveal his nature, not just do a good deed. It's called a good deed, but it doesn't it's not just a deed like, oh, I did it. Well, we're becoming givers. But there's particular grace on people to do this with no strength attached, no recognition, right? It doesn't mean if you have recognition for it, it's wrong. But we're not seeking that. And if we are, God will deal with that in us. He's not afraid of that. Hospitality. I hit this real heavy last week, I felt. <laughs> and it, it was, I felt it was such a fresh expression of what hospitality is. Like, as I was speaking, it was just, understand, I could just see what that gift. And I used Bobby as an example, though we have so much hospitality in this church community. And I think primarily because right now, you know, we're a group of leaders right now. No doubt about it. Families, Husbands and wives, leaders, right, who are going to reap harvest, right? We're getting grounded together. We're tracking together. We're growing together. And there's so much hospitality here, you know? People who love to use their homes, provide food, create an atmosphere for people to have fun, dialogue, talk. Again, use Bobby's muffins for an example last week. The muffin anointing. The anointed muffins. So I won't go too deep back into that because I did last week, but it's the Greek word philozenia. And the philo is one of the love words, right? One of the types of love. Like Philadelphia means brotherly love. Philozenia, it means love of strangers. Do you know the first, the first mention of hospitality in the Bible? Does anyone know where that is? Very interesting. A good place to just go first. The first mention of hospitality is Hebrews chapter 2. And it talks about showing hospitality to strangers because in doing so, you entertain angels. You know, some people could say, ah, that's weird. Like, that person's not an angel walking down the street. How do you know? How do I know? I, I'm, I'm guilty of saying that at times. And so that's a scripture verse to say, hey, if you feel moved, Joseph, to give that guy hitchhiking a ride to Dice Arts so he can catch a bus, you better do it because that's showing hospitality. And by the way, you don't know if he's an angel or not. What if God's testing your heart of love? That's, that's serious. And I've had that happen before. And I bet many of us in this room have been prompted to show hospitality to a stranger, and it was very uncomfortable, maybe felt frightening, like, ooh, goodness. You know, I can think of an instance uh, just last summer. I picked up a woman, God, God moved me, near Dice Arts, and she was just drooling drunk on the side of the road, and her car broke down, and she couldn't talk straight. She, the, the, there was such a demonic craze on her psyche, and so I got her to call her daughter, who was sane and in her right mind and not 
not that way. She, this woman was from um, outside of Augusta somewhere, and she was so drunk, she drove all the way up here, didn't know where she was, broke down. And I don't, I'm not saying she was an angel, or don't know whether she was or wasn't. The fact is, that's also hospitality. So there's hospitality here, like we talked about with Bobby, but this is a little bit of a stretch for us to show hospitality to strangers of all kinds. <laughs> you know, God challenges me in that one because it is uncomfortable. So readiness to share and open one's house in order to entertain is another meaning of the word, which there's so much of that in this community. We're, we all walk in that, every one of us. And again, it's leadership. If we're preparing for harvest, and harvest means homes, right? Homes, entertainment. So again, it's not one or two people. It's a culture of hospitality. Because we skip down to verse 13. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. I got three more. We got five minutes or so? Good. So lead, the gift of leading, is the Greek word proistemi. And it simply means to put before, to set over, or to rule, such as managers. So it's, it's leadership. So it doesn't have to be um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. There's many ways for leaders to rise up in the body. And again, that's important because we think leadership when we think, oh, the pastor, the teacher, the this, the that. Leading is a gift of the spirit that's on people's lives. And one example that I just couldn't avoid because I just, it speaks so loudly to me every time I see these people is, um, God forgive me, I haven't had enough coffee. The husband and wife in Hampshire who bring the youth up here. Yeah, the Messinas, duh. So the Messinas, and, and don't, don't take that wrong if I didn't say one of you. I just, they were bright in my mind, sincerely. And, and they really are an example of this because they're not five full ministers or what we call that, but just get that out of our heads, please. Just get it all out of your head. Don't categorize leadership because Jesus doesn't. There, there is apostle, prophet, etc. Right now we're talking about people in the body who are called to leadership, right? So they have been put before and set over things down in New Hampshire, and when I think of them, I think of that word rule. Like, that man and woman, I just think I, I've seen him more, but they just rule over whatever, you name it. And they manage a lot. But they don't stand in the pulpit. But so what? Again, let's get that mindset out of our head. They are leaders. They are the prime example of managers in the body of Christ. Major. And there's so many more here and there. So leaders, the gift of mercy, 
the Greek word elio means to have pity. Hear this, to compassionate with people. That's kind of like what I felt to speak over Megan, this comforting, compassionate, to feel for people, to sympathize with people, to help people with their emotions. To show mercy, this is very important about mercy. I'm going to take a couple of minutes on this. To show mercy in accordance with God's covenant and his truth. That's what I'm going to hit on. To show mercy in accordance with his covenant, which is the gospel, and his truth, his requirements or his parameters. Not falsity or false grace or mercy. Showing mercy, showing mercy only on God's terms, this is what the Greek uh, interpretation says, showing mercy only on his terms as empowered by his Holy Spirit. So again, it's an anointing. Now we all show mercy, blessed are the merciful. Okay, we'll be shown mercy. But then there's this gift of the Spirit where somebody really walks in this. So when I think of this gift, I think of my father-in-law, Doug Jones. The man is a man of mercy. He's gifted with mercy. Trust me, I know. <laughs> in my own life, I know. And I've seen, you know, just knowing some of the things he's done to show mercy to people in life would, would melt your heart at times and make you weep like, oh my God, I have so much to learn as to how to have mercy on people. Deserving or undeserving is irrelevant. But he walks in a gift of mercy. Showing mercy only on his terms is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's an anointing. It's a gift. It's a grace of God. And so I want to use Matthew 9 real quick in the book of Jude. So in Matthew 9, if you remember, it says that Jesus looked upon the crowds and felt compassion for them. That's mercy. Jesus was sympathizing. Hebrews chapter 4, great high priest. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he invites us to his throne to receive mercy. He's merciful toward us. We don't shrink away from his throne. We come to him in every condition we're in. We just bend forward, fall forward. He's merciful. And then Jude, this is kind of um, the truthful terms of mercy. Is uh, In Jude, it says that on some, right? Who are, a st who are stumbling in sin, who are living in sin, but don't want to, and torn, like, I'm just so tempted to go back to the world, back to the drugs, back to the immorality, back to the drunkenness, whatever it is, back to the, the lying, the stealing, whatever, whatever sin it is. Jude says, there's some of them, they're so torn, and they have believed, but they're so torn, and they're so mixed, and they're not really repenting and believing the gospel and the truth and, and following suit with the spiritual family. He says, and some of them, I want you to show some mercy mixed with fear. Right? For their sake. So that they do turn. So that they do say, oh God, i got to wake up from this. This is serious. I can't go on in this lifestyle forever. That's not what mercy permits. Right? But mercy bears with 
sympathizes with, but has an end result. And that's why it says mercy is shown on the terms of God's truth. But there's, there's required, like, we must repent and believe. We must turn eventually, right? So God's merciful. And to end for today, the gift of teaching, which there's a lot of that in this body for sure. Prime examples of teaching would be Wesley, Stu. It, it's the Greek word didasko, to instruct or impart knowledge, and specifically to disseminate or break down biblical information and make it palatable, right? Make what the Bible says unconfusing. Make it plain so anyone could understand it. Bible teaching. Amen. So I want to just make a comment about the next couple of weeks. So let's see here. Part three and four is going to be, part three, we're going to break down what we call the prophetic gifts in a whole teaching because there's a lot there. And then part four will end with um, what I'm going to call love and order, not law and order, <laughs> right? Because the world's about law and order. But I wrote this down this morning. I said, man, this is love and order right here. It's the kingdom way. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is love, 1 Corinthians 14 is order. And so God's about love and order. So we're going to talk about love and order because Paul kind of takes these two pauses in the midst of his teaching to talk about love and order, which equal unity, right? If we walk in love and order in the gifts, we're going to have greater oneness in our midst. Nothing scattered, confused. You know, we're all on a different page, doing different things. So, amen. Love and order. That's it.